and welcome to another edition of the podcast here at moresportsnow.com. I am John McAlevey coming to you from New Providence, New Jersey, and my colleagues are in separate locations, no longer just across the street from each other in Westfield. Matt Lachlan is in Ocean Grove, New Jersey, beautiful Ocean Grove, and Steve Titchener is coming to you from Convent Station or Morristown at Morris, uh, Morris Hills Golf Club for a very special event. Steve, why don't you tell us why you're there with the video wing of MSN? Well, you know, we got the production wing, as you said, of uh, more sports now. And so we're out. We have uh, uh, we cover the New Jersey State Golf Association. We cover three events for them a year. And I'm at the uh, Ladies Amateur, which is at uh, Morris, uh, Morris Hills uh, uh, Golf Club. And I got to tell you, when they say hills, they mean it, man. And I mean, there's hills all over here. Uh, it's, um, it's a beautiful course, you know, a lot of big trees. It's I'm, I'm under one of them right now because as you know, it's blazing hot, but I got a little shade going on right now and, uh, it's match play. The women play match play every year. And, uh, interesting, you know, there's a lot of Korean women playing golf guys. And here you go the, the two semifinals out on the course right now. It's a Yuna Kim. And she's a rising senior going to, I'm sorry, no, she's, uh, she is a, she's going to Harvard. And the other, uh, other uh, girls on the course are all rising seniors. You got Grace Liu. She plays at a Plainfield Country Club. She's going up against Una Kim, who's on her way to Harvard. Okay, she's at Inglewood, Inglewood Country Club. Then you got Katie Lee. She's at uh, Fiddler's Elbow. Nice. Playing at Fiddler's Elbow. And uh, Eunice Kim uh, playing at a white, beaches golf and country club and they are all uh in high school so uh they're playing they're on the course right now apparently right now it's it's tight it's in the back uh nine so i do have to get off to get over there to catch the last uh few holes which we usually do for the semifinal and then i cover the entire final so i'll go every hole uh, of the final and follow them through to see you uh, uh see who becomes a champion but uh you know it's a lot of fun doing these courses You'll agree, man. We go out to some really beautiful courses. hundred um, percent. One of the things I love about what we do is we get to see not only great courses, but really great golfers. And when you watch and, and see some of these players, both on the women's side and the men's side, you realize how gifted New Jersey is, not only known for terrific historic golf courses, but also, you know, great golfers that, you know, may not make their mark. I mean, there are a couple who have done well and broken through on the tour, but, you know, they're just awesome shot makers. And it's just, it's just really great competition that we've been a part of now for four years. Kind of hard to believe that it's gone by that quickly, but yeah, four years. Yeah. And we were at Knickerbocker last week, Knickerbocker Country Club, and that was in Tenafly. And what a neat uh, track that was, too. Just a beautiful golf course. And when the, here's the nice thing about it, man. There's they're old golf courses. They're hundred plus years old. Everything's grown in. I mean, I'm around huge oak trees all over the place. Uh, and again, this is this is another beautiful course. Very hilly, though. My goodness. I mean, if you, if you go walk this course, boy, that's going to be a workout. Steve, let me ask uh, you something. Sure. You and Matt also, because Matt was out last week. Unfortunately, with this crazy heat and the fact that I don't get around all that well, I, I haven't been able to join you for any of these. But what is um, what is a day in the golf world like as far as with the coronavirus? Are, are, every, are, are the players wearing masks? Do they have caddies? Do they carry their own bags? What are, the, are there galleries? Is that even allowed? 
The only place I'm seeing um, masks is when you first come in. The staff has them on. And uh, the New Jersey State Golf Association, their members at the tables, they've been wearing them too. But out on the course, no. None of the caddies and none of the uh, players. And I didn't see it last week. Did you see, see any uh, masks, Matt? I didn't no, see I didn't. players at all. No. Kind of difficult to play with, with the mask on, I would think. Although I'm seeing a couple baseball players playing with, with masks on now that MLB started. But uh, I haven't, uh, the girls here today, I don't see any masks yet. Um, uh, so, you know, it's wide open, wind's blowing. Um, right. They're, it seems like they're keeping their distance and they're cognizant of that, but uh, I'm not seeing any masks and I'm not wearing one either. I mean, can you imagine being trudging around with a golf course that's like 105 degrees and having a mask on on top of that? I'm like, man, that, that, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. Did you see the same thing, Matt? You didn't see too many of them last week either? No, I didn't. And, and the uh, State Golf Association, uh, at least last week, I didn't see this week because I wasn't able to make the event. Steve's there doing his bang-up job. But uh, because I had planned this vacation, the schedule changed. The State Golf Association schedule changed. So before it had changed, I planned it this week as vacation, and the, the women's amateur came up in it. At any rate, uh, they at least last week, did not allow spectators. However, uh, three players involved in the top 10 all had Knickerbocker country club affiliations. Uh, one was the head pro, one was a, a, an amateur who plays out of it, and another was a recently reinstated amateur who spent a year playing there and now plays out of Hamilton Farm, and he actually wound up winning Marcus Stanza. So uh, there was a lot of interest in the Knickerbocker faithful in yeah. their people, so to speak, were handling the course and a chance to win the 100th men's championship. So uh, there wasn't a lot of people, but uh, there were people on the course. My experience is that the women's amateur does not draw as many fans, mostly just friends and family and a small group at that. Um, and it's it's hard because it ends in a match play to players against each other as opposed to you know 36 players even though most don't have a chance but making the final cut and so you would have supporters everywhere so i i find that the attendance for the women's amateur is a little less uh for the finals and semifinals just because you have fewer competitors mm -hmm. so steve who do yeah. you have your money on uh finishing up with with the win uh, oh, I would with say the women the, the one one with the most experience is the, you know, the, um, uh, Una Kim who's off to Harvard. And, uh, I think she's probably got a little more experience and it might be a little calmer in the final. She's two up right now. So, uh, I, I would say that she's probably, uh, the favorite at this point, but who knows? I mean, all these kids are playing, you know, so, so think about this, they're high school kids coming up and they're all, uh, they're all playing some really good golf so that, you know, you, you can't, you look over your shoulder and you got these young kids who are playing as well as, uh, you know, as the, uh, the people that are uh, the kids that are off to college. Yeah. Well, so yes. yep. very interesting, right? That they're all teenagers here that are playing today. Amazing. So where, where are the veterans? Where are the ones? I mean, where, you know, so, uh, that's a story too. It's like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's certainly in this case for women's New Jersey golf, uh, in these tournaments, it's it's very young, and it was last year too. Youth is served, right? It, it certainly is, and uh, I think I have to correct myself. I think I said Morris Hills uh, 
golf club. I think it's Morris County Golf Club. Do I have that right? Yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. But I call. I, I put. I put the hills in there because the place is so hilly. <laughs> really yeah. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, so we'll see. But I, I got this. Uh, I actually have a group coming up on me, guys. So I probably gotta. Uh, get after this uh, the, the last few holes of the semifinal, and then I'm going to cover the final the whole way. So um, I'll uh, I'll check out now, and uh, uh, of course check it out on our site because we'll have uh, we'll we'll certainly post uh, the um, uh, the videos uh, for these events that we uh, we cover. Absolutely. Right. Well, Steve, thanks for right. joining Steve, us. Be well. Stay okay, stay hydrated. Okay. Will do. Talk okay. to you soon. And Matt, right. why don't we pick up there? Steve was saying that the the one golfer, Yuna Kim, will be starting Harvard in the fall. Well, I think she's probably going to have to be waiting a long time because I think Harvard is one of the schools that says they're not going to be coming back and it will be virtual learning, I think, at least initially, because this COVID-19 coronavirus is certainly not petering out like many thought in the hot summer sun. And case in point, Major League Baseball season is one week in and there's already you know, a, uh, a major crazy nuts, uh, situation with the Florida Marlins. I think it's up to now 17 players have tested positive for it, a couple of coaches. And I think now it's coming out that it's stemming from maybe one or two guys went to a restaurant in Atlanta and, uh, and brought it back in. And, you know, being around teams for many, many years, if there's a bug in the locker room, it makes its way around. So how about this one week into the baseball season? Well, thankfully, it is just one team. And as we learn more about how this occurred, who broke protocol, uh, you know, we'll we'll be able to at least calm down a little bit. Because I know when I heard it over the weekend, I'm like, oh, my God. I don't know that baseball did the right thing by traveling. I, I disagree with it. Uh, I think the other sports, basketball and, and hockey, have gone with the bubble formula. Yeah. I think that works best to lock it down. But baseball has stated its reasons why it wasn't able to do so. But you've got you know players flying in and out, and uh, the protocols are strong, but I don't know if they're strong enough because it's only as strong as your weakest link. So when I first heard it, I thought, oh, my God, this is just what I thought would happen. You've got too many moving parts here and baseball's in trouble, but it seems to have just been limited to the Miami Marlins. And what it's done is twofold to me. One, it has again shown that if there's a break in the chain, somehow everyone is impacted. And number two, this virus spreads quickly. So you don't, you know, we know that we saw it in New Jersey, we saw it in New York, we saw it around the world, how quickly it flared up and how contagious this virus is. But as we've clamped down and we practiced some safe protocols and wearing masks and limiting our time in indoor spaces, et cetera, uh, we've been able to flatten that curve in New Jersey and New York and in other parts of the country, others not so, uh, still battling. Uh, but this is a contagious son of a bitch. Yeah. And, and if you're not careful, it blows up. So, you know what? I, shame. If I, I had not heard that, that they had started to, I knew they were investigating, like what happened here? How did it break down for this one team? And really, you know, shame on the Miami Marlins. You're in this. We're in this together. Not only are you in it for yourself, but you're in it for the guy next to you. 
and your manager, et cetera. And you're in it for the sport. And maybe that's a little Pollyannish on my part, but hey, you can't break it. These are the rules you've agreed to. Like, no. Right. And, you know, I don't know. It's, if that's it, I wouldn't be surprised, but I, you know, shame on them. That's shame the, uh, on them. yeah, that's the speculation that's coming out is that maybe one or two guys broke. I don't know if you call it curfew or broke, whatever you want to say. And, you know, went out and, you know, they brought it back in. And, um, you know, sometimes these locker rooms are one giant Petri dish because you're all around each other and, you know, social distancing and, you know, we're, we're human beings. We're not going to do it all the time. And as you said, this really is a contagious son of a gun. And, you know, it, it brings the question that we here in New Jersey and in New York, we were ravaged early on. I mean, we were we were the poster child for this and we lost so many people and so many people were sick and we, we did clamp it down and we did shut it down and we have been wearing masks and we have been social distancing and we've gone above and beyond. Do you think the fact that, you know, we haven't seen a massive slide back uh, means that, you know, A, we flatten the curve, or do you think maybe there's a part of it that, you know, maybe everybody has sort of been uh, around it and a lot of people have had it, and maybe that's part of why it's not so prevalent here in New York and New Jersey, at least at the moment? Yeah, you know, I think that there's a, a possible point there. I'm not a medical expert. I I, I thought you were an epidemiologist read, on your side I, time. <laughs> I only know, like you, what I read and watch and listen to. And you get varying opinions. It's even from within the medical profession, there are varying opinions. Yeah. And so that's what makes this so hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. But I do think there's probably a, a little bit of everything at play there. I think that as we test more, we may find that more of us were exposed to it, but were asymptomatic, really didn't show much of any symptoms, and we just kind of lived through it doesn't mean that we couldn't pass it on to someone. So I think we have to be careful about just saying, oh, if in fact a lot of people did have it but didn't get sick by it, just saying, well, then obviously it's not that bad. Well, no, if I can still pass it on to somebody and they could be significantly infected yeah. and affected, then yes, uh, we have to be careful about that. But I think there's, that's probably part of it. I think the other part of it is we have, for the most part, been smart about it. and. I think the medical world has learned how to treat it a little better, um, you know, so on and so forth. I think there's a lot. And yes, I mean, clearly, I think in the early stages, sad to say, the most vulnerable are no longer with us. You yeah. know, survival of the fittest. And, and unfortunately, this is going to sound very cruel, I don't mean it, but like the wheat got culled from the herd. Yeah. No fault of theirs that they were in a nursing home or in a prison or that they were in a veterans hospital or that they had an underlying issue that made them more, more vulnerable to it. But when it was wide open, boy, this disease struck everyone who was the weakest of them. You know, you don't blame the, the, the victims, but I'm just saying that's the reality of mother nature. Yeah. So I think a lot, uh, I think there's a lot of things that, that have come into play, but I think for the most part, slapping things down hard has, as you know, has really had the impact. Well, let's hope it continues here uh, in the tri-state area, which again, and I know Massachusetts, we we here in the Northeast really got, got hit hard. But as you mentioned, most of it was 
you know, the nursing home um, population, the elderly and those with, with underlying conditions. So let's hope that everybody continues to as much of a nuisance and a pain in the rear end as it is to put the face covering on, that people will continue to do that and to socially distance and not have, you know, pool parties in your backyard with 60 people sitting on top of each other. You know, we don't need to uh, slide back there. But but that has gone on, right? I, I know. Mean, there was a big bust down in Brick Township yeah. where somebody rented an Airbnb and had a party. There were, what, 700 people at this party? Um, you know, there, there have been lifeguard parties on LBI, and they had a mini outbreak there. Westfield, uh, they traced a bunch of uh, outbreaks to a graduation party that was held. Rutgers, apparently, you know, they shut down recently, and it wasn't a lot of people, but it was because— there was a party that was attended to, and we're still going to learn more about it. We may not know all the details, but there was a party, and you had people together. And, yeah. you know, it's it's human nature, I think, to be social, and it's very hard. Like, you're young. Like, you're a lifeguard at LBI, and you're doing all those things, and you're saying, ah, I'm outdoors most of the time, and I'm just going to go into this party for – you know, for four hours with the AC blasting and it's going to be an overcrowded house, but we're having fun because that's what we do as lifeguards. And suddenly a bunch of people come down with it. Now, fortunately, none of them have died. And I think that's more of what we learned about, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, so Rutgers had this issue. Reportedly, there was a party that guys attended and that's why there was these positive tests, but nobody died. Uh, As far as we know, nobody was hospitalized. So what does that tell you? Well, you know, again, risk reward. I'm not saying open things up. I'm just saying, okay, we learn more. Like we know young people can die. Young people have died, but maybe young people will just get sick. And if that's the case, all right, yeah. well, let's, so I, guess, but I guess the real question is that 22 year old lifeguard who then goes home to his, you know, 68 year old grandfather who, you know, smoked back in the day and has some lung issues yeah. and that person gets the disease and dies. So, you know, it's, it's not just the personal impact. Oh, I got it. But after 10 days, I, I was okay. It's, did I pass it on or could I pass it on to anybody else? So That's the, it's, it's yeah. complicated, man. That's the real scary part about it is the whole asymptomatic stuff. I mean, like you said, these young people, these lifeguards, they probably don't even know that they have it. That's why I think since the testing has gotten better, listen, it's still not an exact science. I had a friend that went for a test here in New Jersey uh, two weeks ago and he still hasn't heard back. So, you know, they haven't really fine tuned, um, you know, how that's all going on, but it's, the fact that people don't know that they have it and they feel great. And as you mentioned, they could bring it home and share it with somebody else. That's, that's the real scary part about it. But I guess the real good news is um, that there are five major pharmaceutical companies that are really banging the drum and there. There's, there's been a lot of great headway that's been made in, uh, in vaccine research that there's clinical trials now that have been started faster than ever before. And I think it's sort of uh, that race to the top where somebody wants to, to get that silver bullet because that means a lot of green in somebody's pocket, right, Matt? If they can come up with, with a vaccine sooner than later. I mean, I hear they're even talking about, you know, maybe the end of this year, the some optimists say the fall. I don't think that's going to be ready, but maybe early 2021. I mean, that's really what we need, but it's exciting. Oh, it is. I mean, listen, the virus is not going to go away on its own. Um, you know, I had a discussion with someone over the weekend and her point was, well, SARS, the first SARS, 
kind of disappeared. And why? You're like, why did that happen? And so why won't it happen with this? And why are we shutting things down? Everything will disappear. And I was like, well, let me find out a little bit more. And it did, but it's not the same kind of disease. SARS mm-hmm. affected the lungs. Uh, SARS, uh, that's where it really, uh, that's where it lived in your lungs. It, it was definitely a respiratory virus, but it lived in your lungs. And generally what happened is by the time you got sick enough to pass it on, you were in the hospital already. Yeah. So uh, you were you were quarantined or you, or you died. I mean, not that many people died, not nearly as many as had in this. But it did die because it was easier to, to contain and slow down. And it wasn't where this COVID appears to reside in your nose and it's easier expelled and so on and so forth. So it's a bunch of things that lead to it. But yeah, let's let's until we get some sort of a vaccine. You know, we're, we're at risk. Okay, Matt. Well, let's sort of turn our attention now back to sports on the field. And with baseball back, the more things change, the more they stay the same. For Jacob deGrom, he goes out and pitches great baseball and, of course, gets no run support from his mates. Yeah, I was watching the game last night, and, boy, it looked like he wouldn't give up any runs. And then some wildness on his part, uh, giving up back-to-back hits and then two wild pitches. and. Suddenly, you know, he's in a little bit of trouble, but the Mets take the lead. And as he leaves, uh, they, they give it right back. Thanks, Seth Lugo. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's amazing. We were talking about it, our family, last night. We're all Mets fans here. And, you know, they put a graphic up about what his last two seasons have looked like. And I do understand and can appreciate the analytics world. But I said, isn't it unbelievable? He's won back-to-back Cy Young's. And he's had a combined 21 victories in those two years. Like there are guys in the past who won 24 games and they, uh, they never won a Cy Young. They got beaten out by somebody who won 27 games. Yeah, and yet in here one season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's back to back Cy Young with a total of 21 victories. I know what all the underlying numbers are and all that sort of stuff, but it does show you that boy, he has gotten no, no run support. It's incredible. I don't know what his record would be otherwise, but just a little more runs would help. And last night I thought while it wasn't going to be smooth, uh, once he did give up a couple, I, I had hoped that once they took the lead, they'd be able to shut it down. But your Bo Sox came through yes. with a W. Yeah, boy, they're and they are a shadow of the doubt. I mean, I that team is really bad. I mean, they dropped two out of three at home to Baltimore this weekend, who is not you know, vying for a World Series championship. And some of the guys that they were hoping were going to really step up have not. Andrew Benintendi has been awful. He's in, I think it's year three now, and this is time. You know, this is money time. And I know Rafael Devers is off to a slow start. And, um, you know, we'll have to see. Their pitching is among the worst in all of baseball. I don't even know who three of the four four starters are. I know Nadia Valdi and... Aside from him, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez had the coronavirus, so he's in the um, slow to come back. He's had some heart issues from that, so uh, who knows whether we'll see him. I don't know who half of these guys are, and it's not going to be a banner season for them. I think they're just playing out the string, and they're going to wait for uh, the offseason to, to try and build their team. But the Mets are off to a pretty good start. You know, they're doing well. They've got a lot of the guys that they need to, to do their thing or doing their thing. I saw that... Um, Mr. Alonzo was four for four last night. Hopefully he can stay hot. And I know Conforto's off to a pretty good start. Yeah, they, they've been, 
it's it's been good to see. They're they're, they're not a perfect team. They started out without hitting uh, in the Atlanta series, and now they picked it up, albeit against a bad Boston club. Yeah, they've been able to score some runs. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out. They appear to have the pitching, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone thought their lineup would be the the key, and it may still be, but. I, I want to see it break out the way it has lately uh, on a regular basis, but it looks like they 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 could put up some runs, but mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm, I'm a doubting Thomas until I see it. How has watching the game been for you now with no crowds and you know no buzz? How are you uh, liking the the piped in crowd noise? And how do you think they're doing so far from a TV production standpoint? Yeah, I mean they're doing all right. Um, I. I I find I had been watching, you know, English Premier League soccer, no crowds. And I think the pace of that game, even though it's not always up and down, back and forth, there are moments when the ball, when they're, you know, being strategic, moving the ball left to right and back, trying to probe. But I find that without the crowd, never mind the noise, without the crowd, Baseball just is almost too slow of a game. Yeah, it it needs some background noise. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Teams will start to add it. I'm sure. Broadcasts will start to add it. I'm sure. The stadiums seem to be playing it for the players. Like you hear some some noise. Last night during the game, it was like some weird cheering that took place at a an awkward time. So yeah. I. Yeah, it's just a little odd. That's, yeah. that's that's for sure. I think baseball does need a little pumped-in noise. Uh, it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to mirror what the fans would do, but just a gentle hum. Hockey, watching it last night, I watched the Rangers and the Islanders in their exhibition game. And while that had the speed that I referred to earlier, I didn't hear on the MSG broadcast a lot of the skates on the ice, the shots hitting the end boards, the the slap shot noise. And I think there's a real concern, understandable, on the TV side in hockey because the players do use the F word like no tomorrow. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, And I think they're really afraid that that will bleed through. And so I I think they're reluctant to really jam up uh, and have solely the noise from the ice. I mean, it's part of every broadcast, and every once in a while you'll get an oops moment. But when that's the only noise that you'll hear, I think they're really reluctant to to jack that up. And so I, I found it a little dull. Yeah. Not the game itself, but just the presentation. Like, okay, like, where's the energy here? Yeah. So, I, know, uh, I know there was a point that you made back a couple of months ago about maybe, you know, announcers who work for the teams may not be traveling and going to uh, an event. And you said that some leagues already do that where they call the game. I think you said it was the Red Bulls where they call the game from the studio. I was listening or I was watching the, the Mets and the Red Sox over the weekend from Fenway Park. And Gary Cohen made the comment that, you know, while the teams are playing in Fenway Park, we are here at uh, at City Field. So I, that yeah. was something that you hit on. And uh, is is happening. I'm sure a lot of teams are doing that. Oh yeah, and for the hockey bubble, I haven't followed the NBA bubble quite as closely. But the hockey bubble, all of the games will be broadcast from remote locations. So last night, 
you know, Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti were in a studio at MSG, um, Brendan Burke and um, Butch Goring on the Islander side. They were doing it from a remote location. I listened to Chris King on the radio side. He did it from a studio. Yeah. I mean, and they all did great jobs considering they weren't on location, but uh, there, there'll be nobody except national broadcast, and not even every national broadcaster is going to be on site. NBC announced the other day that, you know, Doc Emmerich, at least initially, and Eddie Olchuk are going to announce from their homes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that's interesting because they're not going to be in each other's homes. So that's a real remote broadcast as opposed to like, Ronnie Darling and Keith Hernandez being in one booth and Gary Cohen right next door in another, yeah. albeit from a different stadium. Be a lot of people so, talking yeah. over each other. Yeah, a whole bunch of different things uh, in the broadcast side to make this work. But mm-hmm. it has worked, and that's a good thing. You know, it's yeah, a good thing. it gives us something you know to do. It gives everybody an opportunity to, to get away from what's going on in the world and watch some sports. And as we say, hopefully the, the players will remain safe. I know that um, playing these games can sometimes come down to a, to a personal decision. And some players have opted out. The latest to do so is Giants left tackle Nate Solder, who yesterday announced in a really well-crafted letter, he's a obviously a God-fearing man. It had a lot to do with his Lord and Savior and um, whatnot, but he has a, a newborn baby that has, um, or a couple years old that has had cancerous tumors, and he himself is a cancer survivor, and they do have a newborn. So he's decided to forego this season, which you know, for him was a personal decision. It, it leaves the Giants in a lurch because their offensive line is abysmal to begin with. Um, not that he was very good last year. He was the human turnstile. But he has decided not to play this season. And it was a personal decision. What did you think of that when that news came out? Well, I applaud him. I mean, it wasn't easy. I'm sure he left a lot of money on the table. I know that the Giants deal that he signed was uh, the richest for a tackle in history. So my guess is they're not going to have to have too many charity balls for him late in his life, <laughs> uh, in addition to whatever money he made prior to coming to the Giants. But, you know, he left some $9 million on the table, and there's a year of his career out the window, which you can't get back. So I'm sure it was not an easy choice, but it does appear it was the right choice. And so I, you know, I applaud him for it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, don't know why it took an till this moment for him to make that decision. I think in a lot of things, probably you wait, something's going to change next week, next month, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's hard to imagine, but it was, you know, in March that we started to shut things down. It's kind of crazy. It's been a long time. Yeah. So you keep hoping for some new news, better news on the horizon. And I guess that's really the reason why. Plus, I guess the Players Association in the league hadn't really come to an agreement on how they were going to handle it. So I guess he gets, he gets like a, a payout of like $350,000. Yes. Uh, which, so it's not chump change, but when you're making 9 million, it's a little bit of a cut. It's a little <laughs> bit more than a shave. A little bit of a shave. But yeah, as you mentioned, he's got uh, bigger fish to fry. He's a young man. He's, he's got a young family. And as we said, this, this disease, you know, gets into those who are, 
compromised. They might have their immune system compromised or they might have some underlying conditions. And I would say that cancer fits that bill. So he's going yeah, to yeah, he's going to opt on safety first. It leaves the Giants, as I said, in a lurch. And we'll have to see now whether, uh, you know, that obviously speeds up the timetable for first round draft choice. Andrew Thomas, they were hoping that he would be their right tackle this year. I don't know if this now speeds him up and throws him over to the left side. And, you know, as Bill Parcells said many years ago, it's time to rip off the Huggies and put them out there. So yeah, we'll have right. to see what happens in that respect. Yeah, um, it's it's a dilemma for the Giants. And as you said, Solder wasn't exactly an all-pro, but, you know, he's a veteran, and now they're going to have to try to squeeze somebody else in. I don't know that Thomas makes the switch right to left in a rookie year. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we'll see. Maybe they could get um, Eric. Oh, um, his name is the the tackle from Miami that they took a couple of years ago. They could bring him back. Eric, I can't remember his name right now. He was the one that was the abysmal failure. Who's now I think with the with the Redskins. Um, they threw him to the Wolves early on, and he he was an abysmal failure. But Eric Flowers. That's it. My bad. I'll have to edit yeah, that yeah. out and make not make nah, me sound no, like a not moron. At all, not at all, man. Yeah, the flowers never uh, never bloomed when he was over on that left side. No, they so, were not good. Not yeah, hopefully good. Mr. Thomas fares a little better than that. And um, I see that you mentioned that Rutgers had a flare-up with the coronavirus, so that's going to slow them down. I know that the Big Ten is going to only conference conference games only. I see that the ACC did the same thing. And interestingly enough, they're going to have Notre Dame playing uh, a full conference slate. So um, times, they are a-changing, right, Matt? They are, and I'm still curious about college sports. Um, and I get it. It's money. Let's be honest. All of the things that have happened in the return to play are all based on money. We say all these things about it's important for the psyche for baseball to be back and hockey to be back and so on and so forth. The reality is it's about the economic engine of those sports. I get it. Big time college athletics is a money producer. I don't know if it's a money maker necessarily, but it's a money producer. And so I'm not surprised that the smaller conferences have bailed, you know, the Max and what have you. I've said, nope, we're going to push everything off. But the Big Ten, the big boys are still holding out. And uh, I'm curious to see how it's all going to work. Yeah, You've got a lot of young people in a, in a you know, really close environment, side by side, breathing and spitting and sweating on each other. Surrounded by fraternities and sororities. Hey, and, and you're just young, man. Like, you yeah. know, and, and you're in, and some, like, for instance, Rutgers, whatever happened here, private party that somebody threw and a bunch of players went to or whatever, you know, it's just something that they did themselves. Okay. So you can get the party goods anywhere because grocery stores are open, et cetera, et cetera. But now you go to some other states, and I don't know what all the rules are, but, you know, are there some states where things are still more open? Mm -hmm. And so now, even in the Big Ten, like Minnesota is really flattened the curve. Certainly the Gophers going to be able to go out to a team party indoors at a club. And they all, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen. Young people are young people. We can't stop them from being young and at times reckless. I was one of them a long time ago. Yes. So I get it. But I'm really interested to see how college, big, con big time college sports is going to handle this because you got a lot of people in a tight environment. And that's just football, never mind soccer and 
cross country and field hockey and all the other sports. Yeah. Really, really curious to see how this is all going. And you've already seen like a lot, what, how many teams have stopped their practice or, you know, their summer workouts already. There's a problem out there that they won't admit to. And it's, you know, full speed ahead or, well, not full speed ahead. They've adjusted schedules and what have you. Yeah. And I think, I think if we have sort of a, Florida Marlins type thing with one of these college football teams, then, you know, I think they're going to pull the plug. It could be the whole, remember when Rudy Gobert tested positive and then it was like, you know what, through a goose, everybody, everybody dropped in the colleges and the pros. Yeah. That was like the tipping point after he had been at the press conference, touching all the microphones and the, the whatnot saying that this was not a big deal. He says, Oh, I actually have it now. And, uh, and that was the end of that. But, um, it, uh, it remains to be seen what will happen, and we will be here to cover it, whether there are games or whether we're back talking, you know, what, what could be's and what if's here at, uh, at moresportsnow.com. I want to thank my colleague Matt Lachlan, who's enjoying some R&R down in Ocean Grove. I want you to put the sunscreen on that fair Irish skin, my friend. Always, Johnny, always. You must. That that Irish skin, I know I learned a long time ago. My dad used to put that zinc oxide on his nose. It looked like, uh, you know, he had a ton of it on there. So he learned the hard way as a kid that his Irish skin is not a fan of the blazing sun. So let's hope you're doing that. And also we want to thank our other colleague, Steve Tichner, who is out on the links. I hope he has an opportunity to visit the halfway house for a hot dog and a cold drink on this hot day. And we hope that you will join us again next week here on More Sports Now. 